I'm Julie Martella, and this is my podcast, Navigating Widowhood. I'm a home strategist, coach, and passionate researcher. I've dedicated countless hours each week to diving into the most up-to-date research, writing, and interviewing others, seeking out valuable insights on navigating our unique journey. When I find something amazing, I want you to be the first to know. Are you ready to do this? Let's go. Hello, my friends and fellow navigators. I am so glad that you are here. Welcome back. Today's episode is a question from a reader. I'm so excited. The question is, and the title of the episode, how do you stop feeling married after the loss of your spouse? And like I said, today's episode was started or created because a reader reached out to me and this is what she said. She said, Dear Julie, I have a suggestion for your next podcast. How do you stop feeling like you are married? Am I avoiding the pain of the reality of my loss? I've been doing some really deep thinking on this and I wish that someone would dive deep into it. So, Julie, what are you going to (laughs) do? And here it is, my friends. I took the deep dive for. So when you are married or when you are partnered, you've had a period of time together. And when that person dies, how do you stop feeling like you're still married or you're still together? It is a common question among widowed people, believe it or not. This is a very common question. And when I I dove into the research, I found out that there are many reasons why this happens and many ways that you can help your brain transition. Because the first part of our conversation was, why does this happen? But then the second part of our conversation, because I called her, was, what do we do about it? And and, right? We're problem solvers, not problem makers. (laughs) And a lot of this podcast is how do we solve the problems of navigating widowhood? So I think this is a great question to explore today. And we cannot explore this question without Dr. Mary Frances O'Connor, who is an associate professor of psychology at the University of Arizona, where she studies grief and grieving. And she's an expert in complicated grief. And what she does, oh, and she's an author of the book, The Grieving Brain, which I've talked about before, and I will put in the show notes. But what this woman does, she's amazing. She takes scans of people's brains as they're grieving and when they're married, and and she looks, literally looks at the brain. And she has discovered that, well, this is what she says. Grieving can be thought of as a form of learning. After we experience something as difficult, as our one and only passing away, we have to figure out, how do I live in the world now? What does it mean for me to move about the world when the person that I've been doing life with is no longer here with me? Part of this is learning to be in the world as a person who carries this absence with them. But at an even smaller level, you can think about all of the tiny habits that we have to change, 
all of the little habits and all of the predictions that we have to learn in a different way. So basically, we, our brains change when we marry, when we are in, not when we marry, when we are in love, when we are in love with another person and we spend our lives with this person, it changes us down to our neurons. And when that person leaves our, we have to unlearn that down to the same neurons. So my friend, you are not crazy. You are not avoiding the pain of reality. You are literally learning how to move through the world in a foreign way. And there are many ways that you have to learn your new skill. So in our environment, I have identified several ways or several areas in which um, we are confronted with this. Okay. So first of all, you have the areas of your habits and your routines and These are the ones that may come up a hundred times a day. When people are married for many years, they develop routines and habits centered around being part of a couple. One of your jobs as, as a widowed person is to identify those habits and those routines and to adjust to not having your spouse or your partner as part of those daily activities. So, you have to, number one, identify your habits and you might identify them. You, you'll identify them a hundred times a day in different ways, right? So one of my habits was I would reach out my hand in the morning to touch my husband in bed, like when I woke up and then he's not there, but it was a habit. And I had to learn, I don't do that anymore because there's no one on that side of the bed or there's no one that makes coffee or there's no one that brings me, well, it used to be brings me the newspaper. Now I don't know what it is, but you have to, you identify all of the habits and you slowly go through those and you have to figure out, oh yeah, we don't do that anymore. And you have to teach your brain that that's the new reality. So first of all, habits and routines. Then we move on to identity. And identity is your personal identity. And when you got married and as you were coupled and when you were partnered for all of these years, you became one, you became a pair. And after the loss of your loved one, it can feel as though part of your identity has also been lost. And it takes time to adjust to the new identity of you as a single person. Your brain has to learn to transition, my friends, from we to me. And it's hard, right? It's hard. So part, you know, a lot of people will say, I feel lost. I don't know who I am. Right, because you had an identity that was made up of being half of a whole and the other half is gone. All right, next thing, the connection. Your love and your emotional bonds don't necessarily disappear after death. And it's natural to still feel closely connected to your late spouse. Because you remember, remember what Mary Frances uh, said, you were connected down to your neurons. That doesn't magically go away the morning you wake up and they're gone. Your brain doesn't say, oh yeah, they're gone. I have to erase all that. Your brain likes patterns. Your brain wants to keep recreating patterns. And if the pattern is they're there, 
the connections are there. Oh yeah, there he's here, she's here. It will continue to perpetuate that pattern. And to in that connection, it continues to seek the connection. So one of the things is that you have those bonds. As you do the other things, your brain will figure out, oh yeah, they're not here. Remember, it's relearning. It's relearning the new reality. Uh, grief and processing is one of the parts that you have to figure out to learn the new skill of being a me instead of a we. Everyone experiences grief and they process their grief differently. And for some, the feeling of still being married may be part of their way of coping with their loss. So in this instance, there's the denial of reality, right? In one instance, yes, it is a denial of reality. When, when you find, if you find yourself staying, saying, I'll just pretend that she's still here. My life is just easier if I just pretend he's still here. Then you're not coping, and then your brain isn't learning. But what your brain is doing is it's buffering you from the reality of your loss. So that's one of the things that you have to work on. Physical, your physical and your environmental reminders. So this is your home. This could be your home, your car, if you guys work together. It could be your possessions. All right. It's your shared environment. So Your shared environment may be made up of all the things that you acquired as a couple. It could be your bed that you shared. It could be your favorite couch or your love seat. It could be a special thing that was purchased together. But if they constantly remind you of the presence, then, or if it constantly reminds you of the absence, right? So either way, then one of those or both of those, those can reinforce the feeling of still being married. So for, and here's, this is why I kind of flip-flop on this. For some people, keeping everything the same is of tremendous comfort and they don't ever want to change anything. And that's okay. But for other people, keeping everything the same becomes becomes the effect of creating a prison because they they get stuck. They can't differentiate the me and the we. They they get stuck in the the we. So so for some people, they need to do something about that. Some people they're perfectly content. And we'll talk about that in the next section. But the last reason that you might struggle with this could also be the social structures and expectations of society. Not necessarily our society, but different societies throughout the world, okay? And I want to remind you that, um, so for example, uh, there are still communities in India, not all of them, the communities in India that have become more um, modernized do not have this problem. But the traditional communities in India, off the top of my head, when a woman loses her husband, she is kicked out into the street and her stripped of her belongings. So in that culture and in that society, it definitely behooves you to pretend you're still married or to still want to be married. Now, do we have that in the United States? Per se, no. However, it could, could very well exist in parts it could, versions and flavors 
of that can exist. And so because of that, there might be, being married might be seen as a a higher status and losing this status could be disorienting and distressing. You might've perceived, I mean, you might've perceived I am better than everybody else because I'm married and now you're not married anymore. I don't know what your thing is, but what I'm telling you is for some people losing the, the expectations and the social status can be very upsetting to them. And so them feeling married or wanting to feel like they're still married, that that's protective. Okay. So, so that answers those things answer. The first part of the question is like, why do we still struggle with this? And why do we still feel married? The second part of the question in the conversation that we had later was, how do I stop feeling this way? What do I do? And we talked about the answer when we talked about the brain. What we have to do is we have to teach the brain how to be unmarried. Okay. Now, there are specific actions that you can take to do this. And one of the things that I do in this podcast is I give you action items because my goodness, we don't need to figure it out, <laughs> right? I, I love it when people would say, you'll figure it out. You have the answer within you. Well, just in case you don't and you need some ideas, I have some ideas for you today. Number one, give yourself time. Healing takes time, my friends, and it's normal to feel a lot of emotions, including still feeling like you're married, especially in the beginning, because because guess what? For however many years you were married, and then all of a sudden you're like, well, I'm not married anymore. It just doesn't feel real. No, because your brain hasn't figured it out. So allow yourself to feel whatever it is that you feel without judgment. Give yourself the gift of grace and remind yourself you know, this is a process. Right now, I still feel really married. I won't always feel that way, but right now I do. And it's okay. Number two, seek professional support, right? All of us, therapists, grief counselors, coaches, anyone who specializes in grief can help you process your feelings and develop strategies for moving forward tailored to your unique situation. Because remember, we are all have very different situations. We are united by the common theme of loss, but we have a very individual flavor to that. And so you want to make sure that you find someone who understands your unique circumstances and they can help you with the process of differentiating. Okay, number three, build yourself a support system. Lean on friends and family members who understand what you're going through. Did you hear what I just said? There's there's a huge caveat here. I did who understand what you're going through. Not everyone's going to understand, not everyone's going to be able to handle you. Not everyone is lean worthy, and that is no reflection on them. But you need to be aware that there are some people that you can lean into And there are some people that you cannot. If you don't feel like you have friends and family members that you can lean into, then consider joining a support group for widows and widowers. Um, I know that many churches offer a program called Grief Share, 
I know that I belong to a meetup group for widowed people under Soaring Spirits International. And whatever your denomination or lack of denomination, there is a group for you. There are church groups, there are non-church groups. But the important thing here is finding a group where you can feel witnessed and heard. Okay? Number four. I think it's number four. Create new routines. One of the best ways to teach your brain the new reality is to create new routines and engage in new activities that reflect who you are and what you do now as a single person. Okay? Now, this is going to involve some strategic thinking. We're going to talk about strategic thinking in the next podcast, but it what that is, is just thinking about your situation strategically. Teaching your brain how to do life in this new way, being methodical about it. Like, hey, this is what we do now. But in order to teach your brain what you do now, first you need to figure out, well, what do I do now? How do I do this now? So you need to think about your new routines. One of my routines was, uh, boy, evening was tough. Evening's still tough, right? I'm six years out. I still don't like the evenings. So guess what? That's a place where I had to find new routines. And as I, because the routine for so long was kids at home, husband at home, and then they're both gone because I'm also an empty nester. So that was an area where I had to focus on new routines that reflected realistically, this is who I am right now, not who I was five years ago, not who I want to be, but who I am right now. Now, those routines can support me as I move into my future self, but they're reflective of my present circumstances. All right, next one, consider your environment. If you, your home environment, this is where I was talking about the home. If you find, if you find that you are perfectly content in your home, hallelujah, like I'm so happy for you. If you find that your environment is making it difficult for you to separate married you from single you, then consider making some changes. It might be moving furniture. It might be painting. It might be changing a bedspread. It might even be moving. A lot of people move and it's okay. A lot of people remodel their homes or redecorate their homes. It's okay. It's not frivolous. I want you to know that right now. It is not frivolous. It is you differentiating yourself from who you were as a married or coupled person. And that is an important process in the physical realm, right? We work on our mind. This is working on our physical space. So if that's a struggle for you, if your home is a struggle for you, shake it up. Get a new bed. Get a new bedspread. Paint your bedroom. Move some pictures. Whatever you need to do. All right, next one. Focus on your own personal growth. Now, this is not, this is not being selfish. And I know that so many of you went, oh, I can't do that. Yes, you can. You need to. I'm telling you, you need to. You need to set some new personal goals that would include exploring new hobbies and new interests. Because remember, you are trying to figure out who you are. Not who you are as a half of a couple, but who you are all by yourself. And that's going to take 
That's going to take some practice. So you need to ask yourself, what do I like to do? It may be a very new experience, my friend. A lot of people will tell me, I have no idea who I am and what I like to do without my spouse. This one, one of the, one of the, my widowed ladies said, you know, for 20 years, I thought I liked Chinese food because that's what my husband liked. And then I discovered that when I didn't have to have it anymore, that I didn't actually like it. (laughs) So she said, and then she said, but I don't actually know what I like. And so what she did is once a week on a Friday, because that was her day, she picked out a different restaurant to try, but it couldn't be a restaurant that they'd gone to. It had to be a new one. And that was one way that she explored what she liked. And it was, it was quite a lovely experiment for her. All right. The next one, I want you to consider new relationships and I'm not necessarily talking about romantic relationships. If you are in the space where you're ready to explore a romantic relationship, wonderful. But what I'm talking about here is fostering new friendships and new connections as a way of moving forward and teaching your brain. Um, you expand, right? Our ability to love and connect with each other is expansive. It's not finite. You don't have a set number like, I can only connect with 337 people in my life. It's not like that unless you want it to be. You can connect with as many people as you want and you may find in as you are exploring who am I, how do I do life, that this is a time where you also discover I have new people and I have new people that get it and who get me. A lot of my new friends are widowed people, amazing people, widowed people. We are the most amazing people. We are deep, right? Because we have loved and we have lost and we're surviving and we're scrappy. Those are amazing people. Had, had my husband not died, I would never have met a lot of my widowed friends. So while I am sad of course, for the loss, the silver lining is I have been exposed to and created many, many, many new friendships for which I'm very grateful for. All right. The last thing I want you to focus on is I want you to acknowledge and accept your feelings without judgment. I want you to recognize that what you're feeling is normal and part of the grieving process. It's okay to feel a connection to your late loved one. And it doesn't have to stop you from building a fulfilling life on your own terms. My friends, you will always be connected to your person. That does not have to define you in a sad, negative way. That love that you shared with your person and that connection that you have with your person can propel you and can be, can be the thing that brings you forward. A lot of times I will tell people, I feel like my husband loved me so much that I can go have a bigger life, that I have permission to live, okay? You have permission to live. You have permission to still feel married. You also have permission to learn how to do this life on your own terms. If you're going to learn what life is like now, what makes sense for you and what makes it meaningful for this new version of you, then you have to engage in new experiences. 
because that's how the brain learns to move from feeling like you're married to understanding that you are now a single person. And it's not a bad thing. All right, my friends, you have got this. And if not, as always, I'm here to help. Thanks for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, go to the podcast and leave me a review. And remember, if you have a question that you think should be in the podcast, send me a message at julie at navigatingwidowhood.com. Who knows, maybe you will be the next episode.